Weed Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We're a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host. I'm Alex Falcone, uh, recording from North Koreatown, Los Angeles. Um, before we get started, I just want to thank all of our amazing meat buddies who have joined our Metreon. We especially had a, like, a little run on, the, on the, the Patreon right at the end of last month, and I really appreciate that. Especially when I thank Shauna for switching over. Uh, so if you want to, if you want to join uh, everybody in the Metreon, you can go to patreon.com slash meet buddies or metreon.com and you can sign up and ke- help us help keep us limping down the tracks. Uh, I'm going to introduce you now to your panel. I have nothing else to talk about this week. I like to have something to talk about there. Nothing is happening. <laughs> Last week I talked about growing a beard. That's how bad things are. I have nothing to report. I mean, real mellow news weeks. You know, nothing going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's just so calm and. I, uh, well, I will say everything's a okay. Yeah. I will say we're like ten minutes ago was the announcement about TikTok getting banned, and I was right never to learn what it was. <laughs> I, it turns out I dodged a bullet on this one. I don't know what it is about that format of just like short form video, but they just can't keep it together. That's true. It is well, cursed. I I think what's more interesting than the TikTok thing is that he also kind of in a roundabout way is like banning most of video games right now uh, because Tencent, what? who co-owns TikTok, uh, owns most of video games. Uh, oh. So he may have in may have really pissed off the one group you never piss off, which is <laughs> children who play Fortnite. You, you, you think yeah. they're gonna? You think they're gonna dox him? They're gonna give out yeah. his address now? Oh yeah, you'll pry, you'll pry the Fortnite from my cold dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess I will if it does go away. I will miss all of the TikToks that I've seen reshared on other platforms and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But I, I've been I've been afraid. I just don't. I just don't. I don't want to sound old, but I also feel like I'm kind of maxed out on social. Like, I don't have I, a new one in me. I just, I, I'm just blown away. Because if you had asked me a week ago, gun to my head, what one was going to go first, TikTok or Quibi? I never would have <laughs> guessed yeah. TikTok would be the first to fall. That's just insanity. I mean, if you imagine that, if you think of Quibi as being shows that are the length of seven TikToks, then you can see why it's like people like that long form serious content. Well, and this is like a long audio TikTok. I've always yeah. said that. Yeah. yeah, that's a podcast is not <laughs> what is it, but a long audio uh, TikTok. I'm constantly pointing to words that are appearing around me. It doesn't really mm-hmm. read on the I, podcast format. But I have appeared in one TikTok, which was Tom Green's video, where he just yelled, this this is TikTok, I'm on TikTok a lot of times. And then he like turned the camera to me and I said, what? And then he went back to what he was yelling. That's the closest I've been to TikTok. That's awesome. I can't believe you got that, dude. I know, isn't that a You're heck agent. of a get? Yeah, how did you book <laughs> that? That's impressive. <laughs> um, so joining us, we have a great panel. Uh, first up, uh, he's at Anthony Lopez part two on twitter he's in southeast portland welcome back mr anthony lopez thanks for having me always looking forward to this this is gonna be a fun one i think i got a good feeling about it i have i have such a good feeling about it i was kind of we had to postpone it from yesterday and i was tempted to just text sarah all of my opinions yesterday because i didn't want to hold them all in but um, i just you know uh i know i've been trying to get your attention for a long time but uh i'm back now with a new haircut and i really think it's because we kissed when when you were nine that's why you're you're feeling that way Mm, absolutely is that is that the weirdest part um also joining us uh (laughs) 
from the woods in Bella Vista, Arkansas. Please, uh, newly moved, partially unpacked. Uh, please welcome back. Oh, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd. Please welcome yeah. back, Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Yeah, I'm at Hunbun on Letterboxd, and I'm about halfway moved out now and uh, out here in the woods, man. You know, it's man. Back, good to be back in God's country. I already said that off air, but now I also said it on air. So <laughs> yeah, there's a record of it. Anyway, any hoozle. Uh, back it's to God's Alex. country and also bug country. <laughs> Yeah, it's bug country. Every night we got a lot of bugs out here. And, you know, not a lot's changed with me. You know, I kind of stay a consistent human being no matter where I am geographically. You know what I'm saying, man? I'm interested to hear how much your girlfriend is going to pick up that accent. Oh, I think she's planning on it. I'm excited for her. I'm I'm excited for her to have it. How many big Joes with just XXX written on them do you have currently in front of you? Oh, man, I'm stalking them right now. I'm burying them in the ground everywhere, man. And also one for playing in the band. Mm -hmm. And one for smoking. (laughs) <laughs> turn your giant jug of alcohol into a big bong Very. giant bong man that's a good that's a good bong jug also joining us uh she's got sarah hathaway on twitter in los angeles california it's sarah hathaway a goldfish called george <laughs> oh man that was so cute you just did a good impression of the movie <laughs> I can't do any more because Audrey Hepburn has the most impossible to replicate accent of any person who's ever lived, I firmly believe. It's fascinating. Um, What is it? What is she doing? She grew up in Europe, kind of all over the place because of uh, that war and all. And uh, she just never really had an accent from one particular place. Interesting. Was I don't know that if this was something she was kind of forced into, but you know the sort of fake movie transatlantic accent. Mm -hmm. I wonder if she was sort of trying to do that as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a combo of things. Although, and not to like get into too much of my research really early, Audrey Ooh. Hepburn really famously resisted a lot of studio influence uh, on oh. on her person. Um, Interesting. Yeah, she's. So you say she's really like headstrong person. on and off the yeah. screen. Well, she, you know, they wanted to like pad her. They wanted to change how she looked. They really wanted to oh. like they try want- to make her look more conventional as like the stars of the day. And she was like, Nope, I'm going to be myself or you don't get to have me in your movies. Yeah. They would, you know, constantly trying to get her out of ballet flats. And she was like, yeah. Oh, fuck yourself. She I'm going like, to wear no. ballet flats in this <laughs> and every one of my movies. Yeah. Um, Alex, do you know about the transatlantic accent? I do not. Uh, do you know how in old, in old movies, everyone sort of talks with this sort of flat neutral accent that no one in the world actually talks like. Have you ever noticed that? Didn't notice that, no. Uh, yeah, so there's the transatlantic accent was invented by the movie studios uh, in order to create an accent that would work sort of anywhere. And then they would have dialect coaches learn it and come in and teach the actors how to talk like that. Sure, like Moses supposes his toes are roses kind of guys. Yeah, so that's like why all old movie stars talk like um, Catherine Hepburn is probably like the most famous just like fucking nailed it voice kind gonna, of thing i'm gonna have to look for this now because i can't hear what Catherine, what what hepburn sounds yeah, like it's a really fascinating thing but yeah that's why everyone in old movies has this very weird american accent that doesn't sound like anything real interesting that's okay very good fact well we're gonna come back to this movie for a couple things first i wanted to say first of all that this episode was suggested for us by renee on twitter who uh reached out and asked to get sarah on to talk about something like this and 
I am very excited that it worked out. Also, if you at, you, at home Renee. have, <laughs> yeah, and if you at home have a favorite guest you haven't heard from in a little while or a specific subject matter expert that you've heard uh, on our show and you'd like to get them back to talk about something, please reach out uh, on Twitter, Facebook, or on email podcast at readdeskweek.com. Before we talk about this movie, let's talk about what else we've been watching this week. So, um, Anthony, I assume you have had uh, the time to watch movies, which I don't assume necessarily about Hunter, but we'll find out. Anthony, what else have you seen this week? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I have been on a big documentary kick right now. Uh, So we've been watching a lot of documentaries. Uh, So the one I want to talk about, I'll get to in just a second. But before I do, I want to suggest if you have 40 minutes and are looking for something to feel good about, uh, the Speed Cubers on Netflix just came out. It's a 40-minute documentary about professional Rubik's Cubers. Okay. Uh, it's very, very, de- very delightful, very uh, heartwarming, just a very good set. I can't Let me it. ask you a question about uh, Rubik's Cubes. Do people ever actually, like, with no research, sit down at a Rubik's Cube that is messed up and then figure it out? I think so. I mean, eventually, you know, there's enough Rubik's Cube sold that I guarantee that's happened at least once. I guess I just feel because uh, I know that about the speed cubing thing. And it seems like what you do is you just like look up, oh, here are the six moves. And then you practice doing them fast. But yeah, the point well, is not as a puzzle. It's more of as like a juggle, a small juggling equipment. Well, this is like they go into it in the documentary about like these hundreds of um, sort of like moves and like algorithms you have to learn and be able to do real fast because depending on how it's messed up or like in the documentary they go into you know there's dozens of rubik's cube variations and so they do all of those at these contests but it's uh the people who do this are very you know interesting and it's very heartwarming and it's uh just a good 40 minute documentary so i would definitely suggest that uh And then been watching a few other things. Uh, but the one I want to talk about is I just finished uh, yet last night. My wife and I caught up on the final episode of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is an HBO documentary series. Ooh, I watched um, an episode of that. Yes, very good. It's uh, if you don't know, uh, it's based oh, off know. Of, it's based off a book uh, uh, by Michelle McNamara, who was Patton Oswalt's late wife. Also a great oh. true, true crime author, and yeah, she was yeah. fascinated with um, the Golden State Killer or the East Area Rapist or the original Night Stalker. He has a lot of different names. And it is, you know, partly about the creation of the book, partly sort of a bio story of Michelle herself, who had a very interesting and incredibly tragic death uh, just yeah. months before she was supposed to finish the book and actually like less than a year before the golden state killer was actually caught. Yeah. Um, but it is a, it's also like a reflection and sort of like look into the world of true crime and the sort of like this, this incredible rise in popularity that, you know, the true crime pop genre in terms of books TV shows and podcasts especially have made it such this huge thing. Um, but it's a very good, it's about like, I think like six or eight episodes. Um, mm. It's very interesting. Uh, I didn't know a lot about the Golden State Killer case beforehand. Uh, so I learned a lot about that and it does a really good job talking to a lot of the victims and a lot of the victims kind of like their process of sort of what it's done to their life afterwards and sort of oh, what it was like to have the guy get, 
what it was like to have the guy get caught finally after all these years. Because if you don't know a lot about the Golden State Killer, he's one of the most prolific serial rapists to ever live. He had, you know, 50, is, 60 yeah, bit, uh, really victims. But it is definitely <laughs> very interesting. And it got me thinking, you know, I think that sort of the true crime genre is a very weird um, thing that I, I find myself attracted to and am like really into like watching finishing the series got me to like start a podcast called In My Own Backyard, which is a podcast about the Kristen Smart case. Um, and it's just like by this, I didn't realize this is all happening. Yeah. And it, it's just Ooh, one mean. of those things that it's like, I, I feel weird about it that it's like, I'm, and I think a lot of people who are, you know, definitely way more into this than I am probably deal with this kind of conflicted thing way more, but it is weird. This like this feeling of like, I'm listening to in my own backyard and like, I don't know anyone involved in this case. I don't know anything more than the podcast, but like, if you ask me who did it, I'd be like, Oh, Paul Flores totally killed Christmas votes. No doubt about it. Like <laughs> this, this idea of being like really sure about something you don't really know is like a weird feeling for me. Um, but I am enjoying that. But yeah, I'll be gone in the dark is a really, really interesting and Michelle McNamara, who I had read a bit of her writing while she was still alive and she was just sort of writing pieces for magazines and stuff like that. Really talented writer, really interesting person. Like I said, died incredibly tragically. Um, and it's, it's great. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about true crime then. Um, Cause I feel very conflicted about it. Mostly like I, en- like I enjoy it. But I enjoy it the same way that I enjoy fiction and there are like actual victims. And so I feel very guilty about getting that like squirt of dopamine from watching someone else's life get destroyed. Yeah, well, there, there is like so they in one of the episodes that's near the end of it that kind of deals with, you know, after she passed away, a bunch of, uh, you know, Pan Oswald and a bunch of other writers and researchers who uh, helped helped Michelle with the book, finished it, and ended up becoming a very big seller, very big popular book. And they go to a, like, true crime fan convention. They go to CrimeCon. Yeah, literally. And it's showing, like... like a South Park episode. No, No, that's real. It's so bizarre because, one, it's, you know, I mean, I've always known this because I know a lot of women in my life who are very into this sort of true crime genre and it's mostly when you look at the crowd it's like eight dudes and then all women who are there and there are like you know how they go to comic-con and you get like you stand in line to get an autograph from like patrick stewart they do that not just with the writers and the podcasters but like the actual victims of crimes are there like signing books about the crimes that they were victim of it's such weird. a weird uh, thing, but I they, really they, they talk about it and they um uh, uh forget one of the like my fa- the one of the women who runs a very popular podcast talked about the way that it's like it's you know it is it is like you said it's the same thing with sort of like that way people take a fiction and that it's like you know it's engaging and it's a mystery but also it's like vicariously living and sort of being able to experience a lot of people's worst fears um but from like a safe distance yeah. you know and i think that's like a lot of the big draw to it and on top of the mystery and i'm you know always really fascinated by to me the things that like 
I think everyone's going to get drawn by different elements to it. Like one of my things that I find uh, so addicting to these types of stories that you get with like the Golden State Killer case or with the Kristen Smoke case, like I said, I'm listening to stuff about it right now, is like um, police not doing their jobs right and oh, letting no. things slip through the cracks. <laughs> and it is, I mean, it's not like something I, I, I think it is like something that I'm like rooting to happen, but it's so like in enraging and so like addicting to hear about these little things that they just especially when you look at something like the golden state killer or if you look at any serial killer before like the 1980s it's like all you had to do to get away with like being a you know a serial rapist or a killer was to like just go from one jurisdiction to another because no cost yeah we talked about this a little bit when i when i watched zodiac but that was like basically the thing with zodiac was just like he just police didn't talk to each other so yeah it's just... and that's a huge part of the why um in the you know the chris and smoke case the golden state killer case so much of the you know especially the chris and smoke case it's like they when you listen to the facts laid out it's like it's so obvious this guy but just like the campus police and the real police didn't neither of them did their jobs right and they overlapped in weird ways that basically made it to you know 15 years later 25 years later uh, that case is still not solved. Uh, and it's just like really engaging and interesting. And if you're into that at all, I think I'll be gone in the dark. So really good. One of those. If you're, but also I just want to add to the end of that. If you feel like you're interested in true crime, I would like to recommend fake crime because mm-hmm. if you watch a movie or uh, that, where there's a crime involved and it's not real, right. they tell you the ending. <laughs> like you they they'll even show you the crime being committed so you can look at the person's face and be like it's that guy i see that guy it is very satisfying comparatively because you actually know the answer also anthony i don't want to like judge how you go about your work here but if i was doing it i would do the speed cuber second to kind of bring the mood back up and then well, they were, after you know, wrapping the, up on the, all, the i'll be gone in the dark was like an eight week thing so it was <laughs> the first seven episodes of i'll be gone in the dark over seven weeks and then i watched speed cubers cried a little bit out of happiness and then <laughs> went to all be gone in the dark. I, um, I actually um, I'm going to go second because I had a little bit of um, fake crime myself this week, which is that the last week and a half, my wife and I have been um, watching Sherlock from back in the day, um, which not my first wait, time. What, through. Sherlock? The one with uh, Benedict BBC. Clumber- yeah, Blatch. We're watching Cumberbatch. And, I'm sorry. Uh, Why are you watching Say this? more about that. Yeah. Both of you say oh, more about this. Oh, because it sucks. The yeah, show sucks. It's, it's fucking really that show fucking sucks. I fu- fuck that show. I hate yeah, that, that show. What? That I mean, this is my violent reaction. Man, These that show are makes the me worst so opinions you've ever had on the show. No, and it's, it's weird that you share them. It, I'm sorry. Show I, I, I didn't mean to attack you like that. That, yeah. that, that show just it's makes me really crazy. Mad. No, I mean, anyway, definitely this like, is probably my third time through the show, but my wife had never seen it. Jesus, I adore it. I think it is a delight. Oh my god. I just find the show to be so delightful. Um, uh, you know that there's this one sequence, and I think it's like the Hounds of Baskerville, where he's uh-huh. like doing his mind palace thing and like just doing weird word association, and he ends up doing like a little Elvis dance. That's when I checked out of the show, and I was like, fuck this. Well, she I got to the first season at least. No, I mean, I think I watched most of it because yeah. it's over the years. and It certainly it's, has its over-the-top moments, but I love it. I think it's yeah, really I, good. I, I, I really... Yeah. Oh, go uh, ahead. All right, so, so I'm, a big, uh, I'm a big Doctor Who guy. Uh, oh. 
and the the showrunner for Sherlock and for you know the last uh, not now but uh, Moffat before Moffat Stephen Moffat. Uh, I just feel like he. I just view him with a very deep like suspicion. Um, mm. In that, I feel like he veers off into like random. Uh, problematic nonsense and is just like i don't know he he freaks me out he's gross sometimes he's he'll be like really clever one minute and then like fake clever this isn't that this isn't actually interesting but might seem clever on the surface uh the next um i actually really because like so i said like i have like heather and i would watch it because we like the cast and it was you know you would get one ep one season every like 12 years or whatever yeah yeah and it was the after the big cliffhanger when you thought sherlock died uh and when they came back and they did a whole episode just making fun of fan theories and being like oh we're never gonna answer that because fuck you guys uh that's when i was like i hate these writers i hate everyone involved in this show yeah, you're totally uh, wrong about that, but yeah. I understand how you could feel that way. Um, Wait, uh, so I just, for anybody that might be listening to this and like be, if you're on the fence at all, there's a very great H Bomber Guy video on YouTube called Sherlock is Garbage and Here's Why. Uh, it's been viewed 5 million times. It's a great piece uh, and it explains everything. And honestly, I bet, Alex, if you watched it, you'd be like, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, I, I well, then why would I? Yeah, ex- actually, don't watch it. Enjoy, like continue to enjoy the thing. I hate the position I'm in right now. I don't want to yeah, shit on anything. I like a thing, and it would be weird for me to be like, I should figure out how to take the joy out of this thing. Never never me. watch this, Alex. I'm, but. No, I'm not interested. I enjoy it very much. I've enjoyed it every time. Uh, one thing that's fascinating about it to me is that I was going to talk about it, and now I'm not going to. No, no, so. no. Please talk. I'm sorry. But, I, I, but, I came um, out too hard against this. I feel bad now. It's really interesting just to have a, ha- have a show that do- the season is three full-length movies that's the season is three mm-hmm. 90 plus minute episodes every like five to ten years um is just a really weird way to do it and so it's like we watch three seasons but it's really just like we watch nine movies um of it and i and i don't get credit on my movie watching the same way because it's technically a tv show so it's it's messing up my count um for the last you, couple weeks you should give um What's the CBS Sherlock Holmes show? Elemental, elementary. Elementary, uh, yeah, yeah. That that's pretty good. And I personally am a big mm-hmm. fan of the um, the Guy Ritchie, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies. Sure, this is a prank show right now. For sure, <laughs> I am no. not the weird one here in that people do like a lot of people really liked uh, uh, Cumberbatch's Sherlock, and you just brought up two things that are like universally panned and been like, these two are the better way to watch. I am so confused. I am baffled. I am baffled. Anyway, uh, Hunter, have you had time to watch anything else this week? Um, here, wait, I was going to do a segment. No, no Star Trek news, but that's my jingle um, for oh. my <laughs> special segments. Um, so this is called, uh, this segment is called COVID corner. Um, it's where Hunter talks about, um, hit, uh, well, so for this week on COVID corner, uh, this is a show within a show. Um, uh, I'm going to rank all the States that I passed through on my way to Arkansas <laughs> by how much it seemed like people were aware of COVID. Perfect. Okay. So worst, no, I'll go, I'll go best first. Best Colorado. 
Okay. The Denver guy at the hotel annoyed me with how much information he was telling me with like what chemicals they were using to clean the place. If I Uh get annoyed by your COVID talk, you're doing Uh a really good job. Um, so, and, and also lots of masks, I would say 75% masks. Um, number two, Utah surprise. Um, yeah. Uh, those are both surprising except that I just pulled up the map of where you probably went and you are passing, increasingly less likely to have mask states in my opinion so i guess yeah, I'm, I agree. Not, I'm shocked that utah is that high but i'm not shocked that it's above say oklahoma or missouri well, I, didn't, I didn't pass through oklahoma or, or and i was only in missouri for a second i'm not gonna rank missouri i'm not gonna judge them yet okay, well, um, then, i'll have plenty of time with missouri still, like kansas nebraska south dakota you had to go through some of those and none of those seem like they'd be above utah despite yeah. um utah not being where i would think would be right the let's so number three on the list uh oregon uh honestly the part like uh, portland is behind utah yeah um well and and when i say oregon i don't mean portland that would be silly to rank where i was living but the driving through eastern oregon they were just doing all right uh not great um this is already losing steam for me as far as how funny it is uh number four idaho um idaho not good if you live in idaho you guys are not doing good well, and i'm sure if you listen to the show you're doing good personally but i just want to put it out there people in idaho it's cool to like shame other people about masks and say like yeah. where's your mask huh uh, yeah i'm sure you have your mask in your car right do you need to go to your car and get your mask right now you can sit those are things you could say See, okay, right? Hunter, this is where you've gone wrong because you're counting Idaho and Eastern Oregon as two separate places. Okay, that's fair. Uh, it's really just sure. it's all just Idaho. I, okay, I, I, I call Eastern Oregon, Western Idaho. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's what... <laughs> all right. So, so uh, I have two two states left, but my final one to be ranked is number five, Kansas. Uh, you guys are uh, a lost cause. Okay, just I don't even know what to say to y'all. The, the, I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. astounded. I was giving away masks in Kansas. Okay. <laughs> I was, and by I, I mean, uh, my girlfriend Elena was giving them away. I would not go inside places. Um, and, and my final state, uh, Wyoming unranked, uh, because I would not dare step outside of the car. There we go. <laughs> Bam. How is your area of Arkansas? Oh, we're doing great. Um, we're, I mean, as far as like people around here, they get it. But I'm from a very get it part of a very not get it state. You know what I mean? You you guys, you guys know what types of places I'm talking about. Places like Asheville, North Carolina. That's yeah, the yeah. type of place I'm from. Well, yeah. frankly, Portland. Um, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Portland's like that. Can I get ask uh, the kind of go back to the theme song from the segment? I just want to mm-hmm. real fast get your temperature on... Um, the animated Star Trek show that's coming out soon, or I think premiering this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any interest from you with that? You know, that Picard show broke my heart uh, so bad, and it kind of punched me in the in the gut and in the face and in the brain um, and made me cry. Uh, and it's kind of like, I don't know, like right now, like me and Star Trek are not really talking. Um, I'm not taking those calls. I'm not looking at the promotion promotional. I actually, I saw one thing incidentally and I was like, animation kind of looks too much like Rick and Morty. That was yeah. the only negative thing I could say though. That's not that negative. I mean, the, everything about it looks like it's a, you know, a parody Star Trek comedy series. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Weird. Um, uh, yeah, I yeah, I, I have no interest. I, I, well, I'm sure I will watch it and I will be sad, but whatever. It's a very fun segment. Sarah, thanks for hanging out and the through that whole thing. 
for 27 no 28 minutes <laughs> have you uh watched anything else besides um our homework this week do you want to talk about i have and i will sum it up very quickly mm-hmm. uh I my husband has never seen the classic film Coyote Ugly, and it was his twentieth. It was his twentieth anniversary, so we watched Coyote Ugly. The oh, old exactly as I remembered, which is to say, what a movie! What a time! Mm-hmm. How does it in like in the COVID world we're living in? Does people dancing on bows really? You oh, know, it's so feel- stressful. But you know what? The Coyote Ugly was always a, a spot of stress for me, even as a, a truly a child watching that movie when it first came out, because I thought, God, if that's what women are expected to be, to be considered sexy, I have no chance at all of attracting heterosexual attention in this world. Uh, um, but fortunately, that's because, not wait, the which, case. Which the world is not, not Coyote Ugly. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not very good at line dancing. I definitely don't like crowds. Um, you, I don't like doing shots. Um, I can't spit back into a bottle, I don't think, which is necessary in Coyote Ugly for not sure. getting blacked out. Oh, sure. Um, okay. So I've never seen the classic film Coyote Ugly either. Okay. All I know about well, it. We can't make this podcast like, about Coyote Ugly, Alex. <laughs> we, we have done it about lesser things. The spinnings of bottles is all I remember from the ads. And I. Uh, uh, spinning you know, bottles factors very little into it. It's mostly about um, dancing on the bar and. Mm. Um, feeling accomplished in yourself. And sometimes that means you don't want to be a singer. You want Leanne Rhymes to sing your songs. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I have not seen Coyote Ugly in a very long time, closer to the, when it came out than any time within the last 20 years. But I do like once a year, I do this with a lot of random actors. I just like once, at least once a year, I kind of stop and be like, Whatever happened to Piper Paraba? Was that her last name? The lead in Coyote Ugly? She was great. She's just one of those actresses that like vanished. Uh, just she aged know, out. Was... I mean, what happened is she aged. That's yeah. always the uh, answer. Honestly, it's, what, if you know, not, if you wonder where a woman care? went, she hit thirty four and then she stopped getting. Did she just not want to have a career? So she hit Why would she four and then she quit? Or I don't understand. What do you? <laughs> oh, I don't. You know, <laughs> she chose. So, so women hit women all hit thirty four, and then they magically quit. And yeah, and then and then we decide as one. You know what? I've had enough of this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like a really um, beautiful, empowering moment in a woman's life. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> they get when they turn thirty four. They're like, I'm too good for this shit. <laughs> she was yeah. really good in a lot of things around that time, and then just I had the same thing when I was watching another one of the documentaries I watched this week was. Uh, Jane Fonda's A Life in Five Acts, uh, which is also very good. Uh, but it got me thinking, whatever happened to Bridget Fonda? And it turns out uh, she quit acting to raise Danny Elfman's children. Uh, oh. So that's a choice. I had no yeah. idea about that. But I was like, she was great, too. I would... I'd love to see her pop up and stuff. So. Oh my God. I'm so rude to Piper Parabo who has been working nonstop. She just went to TV. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was also looking at that and thinking yeah. like, well, let's just, like, I, I, it. I forgot she was in Looper. She was in Angel has fallen. And then she's been in the lead in covert affairs for literally years. Um, yeah, but I haven't true. heard of covert affairs. So well, oh, wait, she's in prestige. prestige. Who is she in the prestige? Anyway, who is this woman? Anyway, she was one um, of the ladies who bad things happened to in the prestige. We can't keep talking oh. about this. We have to talk about Sabrina. <laughs> yes, it's time to talk about Sabrina. Thank you uh, for hanging out. So, I distracted um, us and I was trying so hard not to. 
this week, uh, our main segment now, we're going to move on to talking about our, our film this week, which is Sabrina, the 1954 rom-com directed by Billy Wilder and starring Audrey Hepburn, Humphrey Bogart, and William Holden. This was selected by you, Sarah. So the, the sort of the assignment yes. that um, we we got from the internet uh, from Renee was to have you talk about some costume stuff. Oh, and my God. <laughs> this was your first movie. So tell me why you picked Sabrina for us. Well, okay. So... Sabrina is a marks a very important moment in a lot of movie fashion in general, like mm-hmm. fashion inspired by movies, and specifically within the career of Audrey Hepburn. This is her second movie ever. She won an Oscar Whoa. for her first, which is Roman Holiday. Her like lead, Crazy. I mean, she was in other stuff before this, but leading role. Uh, and this is the first movie in which she wore clothes designed by Givenchy, and that's very important because they had an incredibly uh, beautiful, special relationship throughout her entire life. He dressed her both for movies and in her personal life ever since they met when she was doing pre-production on this movie. And she boosted his profile as a designer because of her association with him. And I can really get into the whole story of all that, but that will... I I can whenever, but I don't want to monologue this whole time. But basically, I chose it because... It's important both in her career and in terms of like aspirational fashion in film. That is so. I will. I, I'm expecting um, and 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 excited about more uh, of the monologue. The, but before we do get <laughs> it's that, so long, it sounded sarcastic. It was very genuine. But before we do that, I do want to give everybody at home my world yes. famous three sentence summary of the movie. Ooh, so if you're not where's my popcorn? 1954. Grab three pieces of popcorn because here is my summary. Of the film, this is what happens. Um, these are all run-on sentences. I kind of took some liberty, but anyway, that's cheating, Alex. Oh no, they're technically they all check out. They're all they're all little running on, but they are I like. Do submit all of your three sentences summary to an English professor every time, you, just to see how they think of your sentence structure. American board of snooty professors, <laughs> and yeah, it's technically three sentences. Okay. Sabrina is the teenage daughter of live-in of a live-in chauffeur to the incredibly rich family with two sons, a hot one who she's been in love with forever and a businessy one that she doesn't care about because he's a million years too old for her. Number two, she goes uh, to Paris for two years and comes back still disturbingly young, but now with a super cute haircut, which is enough to finally catch the eye of hot brother, despite him being currently engaged to a business decision. And number three, business brother tries to save the merger by seducing Sabrina for himself for pretend but then accidentally falls in love with her for not pretend. And she manages to overlook the fact that Humphrey Bogart was literally born in the 1800s as she kisses his disgusting corpse face. So <laughs> I do have one main issue with the movie and yes. I don't want, and that'll be fun to discuss. Is um, it Humphrey because, Bogart? Cause it's fine to have that issue. A hundred percent Humphrey Bogart. Literally and I don't everyone wanna... has that issue. <laughs> he had that issue. Wait, wait, what it is about old Humphrey, old fun Humphrey. What's the matter oh, with man. him? He well, he's, a, he's a sweet, kind old face. To understand that this is the wrong generation. Yeah, I, well, I, I mean, the most comfortable he looks in this entire movie is when he pulls a gun out of a desk. You know, <laughs> like that's when he's the most in his element. It's uh, such a weird decision, and I, I have enjoyed Humphrey Bogart in some pictures, um, but it does seem like a thing that he tends he he does end up a lot with is pretending to be in love with a child and well, i did not he, he not also doesn't do a lot of he was mostly like a down you know 
a, a scoundrel detective for most. He didn't yeah, totally. do a lot of rom coms, and I do think it is at least interesting that like the age thing, while isn't like a you know, it isn't like a major plot point. It's at least discussed, which is sure. something that even in nowadays you have like a yeah. fifty year old actor dating a twenty year old, and it's like no, they're just peers. Duh, everyone knows that. Yeah, uh, this actor, these two actors are just like there's no weird age difference. Like at least it is sort of brought up as a plot point, which is yes, very, that is a very good point. Well, and this is also go ahead, sir. It was probably brought up as a plot point because they were writing the script as they were making this movie. It was a disastrous mm-hmm. production, and they were writing yeah, it on the fly. And Humphrey Bogart. And William Holden were both like drunk every day and miserable to work with. And nice. Humphrey didn't want to be there. And he complained yeah. nonstop about it and talked about how he was too old and it was bullshit. And he wanted his wife to be in it. And who was also uh, very young, of course, yeah, Lauren Bacall. But he was oh, like was so Bacall, pissed really? okay. to be there. She's way too young for him. That's my main concern yes. about the movies they're in together. I know, but but Bogey didn't want to be opposite a young lady who wasn't his actual wife, so I guess that's sort of nice. But oh, I weird. I bet you anything they put in that scene where he tries on his like insane college gear and his dad yeah. makes fun <laughs> of him because Bogey was saying that type of stuff like in between takes already. Yeah. I just and I um oh go ahead, Dax. We just watched big the big sleep a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago now, I guess, but um whatever whatever is time. But yeah, which is him and and Bacall, and they're twenty five years apart and it's weird and gross, but they also did kissing off screen. So um he was into that. So the fact that he is thirty years older than her here isn't that weird. It's actually weirder that he is pretending to be the brother of a person thirty years younger than him. Yeah, than that's it, weird. He's trying to because like old rich men sometimes marry children, but the you, they they don't just like decide to get a cool younger brother to hang out with. Yeah, the age math there for them as relatives is easily just as scientifically weird. Well, it's his, wild. Have you seen his, the painting of them? They're supposed to be yeah. close in age. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, his his dad is a hundred and fifty years old. <laughs> the biggest. The biggest <laughs> novelty cigars I have ever seen in my life. I feel like that life. was their only ace yeah. in the hole to explain yeah. Yeah. the situation. I, uh, they were just like, look how old this man is. Now shut up, you. No questions. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I did. I was very excited to do this movie. Um, I really, um, there's a lot of interesting to talk about, but I do want to uh, just sort of, before we get sort of too off track, just take a moment to talk about one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this or something else from Billy Wilder's, because I really wanted to discuss Billy Wilder on the sort yeah. of film school part of the podcast that we're well, doing because now. Because in order, my three questions were going to be about Billy Wilder, about Audrey Hepburn in general, and then about the costume work here specifically. Yeah. So let's start in that order. So let's talk about uh, Billy Wilder. So yeah. I know from Some Like It Hot, right? Mm-hmm. Some Like It Hot, Double Indemnity, uh ironically i tried to do a bunch of searching for this to see if he was purposely pitting seven year itch references in this movie uh because that was his next film but i couldn't find anything about that but i've never seen that would be ridiculous if he didn't know that yeah i mean well i mean maybe he didn't didn't know that would be his next but i've never seen a director call his shot like that (laughs) Uh, like just have people reference his next movie in it but you know some like it hot is something like that but seven in your itch is you know the Marilyn monroe film with one of the most iconic 
moments in film history when she's over right. the subway grate. But yeah, Billy yeah. Wilder is one of the the best. He this guy fucks. That's the only way to describe Billy Wilder. He was, <laughs> He was a director who was a real... His films always had, like, a really great visual composition to him, but he was one of those dudes who could, like, do anything. You know, he's his back half of his career is very, very comedy-heavy, and he has, you know, great stuff like Some Like It Hot, uh, The Apartment, which is one of my favorite movies. But then he also has stuff, you know, like Sunset Boulevard is probably one of the most influential movies. Double Indemnity, like, yeah. absolutely made like help cement the template for an entire genre that is film noir um and he's just such an interesting visual filmmaker he he was really really good he's one of those directors who um one of the things i really like about his work is the way that he he was one of the guys who did black and white movies well into color being a thing uh, oh, and he okay. just used black and white so well. You know, like Seven Year Itch is a color movie. Is movies some movies before this were color, but you know, The Apartment he did way later, still in black and white. Sunset Boulevard is in black and white. This is in black and white. Uh, and just the way he uses contrast uh, in this movie is just stunning. Um, can you remember? This is very specific, but can you remember a m- moment where that contrast thing was like stark and noticeable to you? Um, I think most of like the night party stuff is really oh, good. Yeah. Like very early on, when uh, Sabrina is like, you know, a, who's a real peeper, real, real peeper. That Sabrina is like peeping uh, from the tree, watching the party. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way this movie uses like uh, white suits and black suits for the two brothers a lot. Well, uh, that's actually a big issue that I have. Is I just wish men would stop wearing white suits because they make it makes them look like barbers. Yeah, uh, exactly. Thank you, uh, Alex. <laughs> um, I love that he had, you know, the dedication to obviously shoot those scenes in France that took place there. That totally was not a set. <laughs> yeah, that, that was real. I that saw the real. Eiffel Tower and I was like, oh, we're in France. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, and then yeah. I saw the Eiffel. I was like, wait, where are we? And then I looked back at the Eiffel Tower and I was like, oh, we're in France. Yeah. Um, I, I was asking my girlfriend, like, where are we? And she pointed at the Eiffel Tower and I saw it and I was like, oh, we are yeah, in I mean, France. That's, you know, that's great film composition because your eye is first dragged to the eggs cracking and then yeah. drawn to the center to the Eiffel to Tower. Tell you, to tell you the setting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he's, he is just, you know, I love like a lot of there's a lot of like really weird uh, shot composition in this movie. One of my favorite shots is um, when he's getting his brother the plastic uh, a hammock. And this is shot when it's shot through the hammock to Humphrey yeah. Bogart's face. And it's all distorted in the plastic. And his brother's clear there in the foreground. Um, yeah, he is just so versatile and such like a interesting movie maker. And his movies are like, it's one of those guys that kind of like, uh, I think, you know, I wasn't on the Citizen Kane episode, but I talked about this, uh, the next week, but his, he makes the type of movies that a lot of people, I think like get intimidated by like classic movies that are like the classics and people think they're going to be like stuffy and boring and stiff but he makes movies that are like filled with great running gags and just a lot of fun like he's a so great he's... oh sorry go ahead yes, no, i just want to ask a question about that because you uh we were just talking about a second ago about how the production of this was such a a nightmare mm-hmm. did he work like that a lot 
Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I, I would argue that more film productions are nightmares than not. Uh, oh, okay. just yeah. Because that's a part of the craft, especially in like, you know, the old studio system of like the golden age of Hollywood was a lot of that, right? It was, you know, sort of journeyman directors doing their things and like, uh, but yeah, I definitely think that that was just a thing that happened quite a bit. Well, describing uh, it, it sounds like describing something that is a nightmare. And in actuality, this movie is so fun. Yeah. And, and how, does, how, does that, how do you have people who are mad and drunk and impossible to work with all the time and write the movie as it's going and then have it be so good? That is weird. Yeah, I mean, that's what, like, a really good director can do, right? A really good director and producer and the power of editing is that if you know what you want and know what you're getting and are flexible enough to kind of roll with the punches, you can certainly get that. But, yeah, I mean, the the story of the, the amount of stories of great films that are, like, cinematic classics that feel like all of this was planned out and then you read the backstory and it was like, we didn't know what we were doing when we woke up every day. We just right. we just sort this of is, winged it and rewrote it on the day. It's like that happens a lot in the industry and the worst way to make art. I just it's crazy that that's how this is done. Yeah, but I mean, it's also, you know, a big part of it is, you know, you're, uh, you know, think about like making a movie is, you know, if, if you're like trying to drive a train and not just laying the tracks in front of you as you go, but actually building the train at the same time. Right. You yeah. know, okay. Like, that's just I like, think, I think train engineers would agree. Not a great way to run a railroad. Not the, yeah. Not the way no. they would, I think, well, elect to do it. If they could like choose to do it, however they want, they'd probably like want to go ahead and have the tracks down. You know what I mean? beforehand also have the train beforehand why not do it that way oh yeah yeah just have everything you need already to go you know the problem that's you know the thing with you know all uh when that is especially you know film is so unique because it's this uh, more so than most other creative endeavors it's like this this meeting of like artistic integrity Mm. and commerce and money right so it's like the fact that it's like so much of it is about okay we got to have make sure we have all these prints ready to go out theaters to match your marketing to match you know this sort of thing you get that like well we just have a fucking deadline and we can keep trying to make it better as much as we can uh but you're going to end up like that you know it'd be cool though like if somebody made a movie that was more like a rube goldberg machine you know like not so human just like they have everything set up and it just they just turn it on and then there's the movie poops out movie just kind of through (laughs) physics i think it sounds like that is not a real suggestion but i do feel like there is (laughs) i just yeah it's just bog it's just it's just mind-boggling to think of that process creating something that is this fun um okay so let's go to segment let's go to part number two um, Sarah, why don't you talk to me more about Audrey Hepburn? So I know oh my God. Uh, very little about Audrey. I like I'm aware of her, uh, I, and I've seen some movies with her in it, but I do not know anything about her. I love her, uh-huh. <laughs> as many people do. She's a a very like iconic person, and it's it's not really Golden Age of Hollywood. She's right after that, right? But she re- represented a big shift in. Yeah how movie stars looked on screen. Not that she was any any more attainable of a, a, a type of beauty than anyone else who is in a movie, of course, but she looked different. And that like mm. meant a lot to a lot of people. 
Interesting. Um, she's a really fascinating person too. She, I think she's a brilliant actress. I, I think she is just so wonderful to look at on screen and she has like a real charm and empathy to her. And she elevated a lot of kind of quite frankly, lackluster material just through her sheer charisma. Um, Roman holiday. If like, if you want to see just like pure charm and action, I almost picked that one, but it's not as much like interesting from the, the costume perspective, but you can just see like what a pure presence she is on screen. Mm. I, also just really admired everything that she did in her humanitarian work. She worked for UNICEF. She was incredibly dedicated to helping children around the world. And she really dedicated the last years of her life to that. Um, And she really passed away much too young. She was only 63 when she died. Um, But if you want to read a really... Early career age. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to read a really like gorgeous, very breezy, fun, like great tribute to her. I have this wonderful biography of her called Enchantment that's by Donald Spoto. And it's so fast as a read, but it's just like, great. It's a great, like exactly the type of tone you want out of a celebrity biography. It's like gossipy, but not like trashy and has good pictures and like lots of good letters in it. I like love a good letter in a biography. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, she's she, just gorgeous. She's just, I mean, yeah. what, a, what a human. I mean, she is someone who like, you know, without in any costumes or anything, if you just saw a silhouette of Audrey Hepburn, you would know it was Audrey Hepburn. You know what I mean? Like, she's just such a striking, distinct everything about her. And, like, the way she plays, especially the way she plays Sabrina in this, I think really, you know, helps this material uh, and just is so charming. And there's so many things. Like, I would love to know where the sort of direction begins and her acting ends. You know what I mean? Like this, there's so many odd choices she has when she's like playing in his chair in his office and like just lays flat on it. And it's just like, how much of that was her just sort of working it out? Where was that collaboration there? Uh, She's just so magnetic in this movie, you know? Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up because one of the things I think about this movie that's really interesting is that uh, her character is um, uh, like bad uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, I feel like the ch- decisions she makes like naughty movie, or what do you mean? Like evil? Uh, like, no, not evil. More, yeah, more just like um, uh, I just feel like her behavior uh, would be, like if, if she was my friend, I'd be like, "You're behaving in a way that I I think is not great. I think you should." Oh, try what do you it. mean? Can you pick, can you show me an example? Um, I <laughs> the fact that she co- okay, well, uh, she's getting ready to kill herself over a guy who um is not in love with her because he obviously is not going to be, and then he also is like a despicable person. And then well, she's she has like, a ponytail. He's not going to look at her while she also has he a does he does fall in love with her for a minute too. So like you need to have a little well, more yeah, faith. All of the falling in love uh, in this movie seems unjustified, but um. But, like, and it just her, feels brittle you know it's a lot of loves that like you know i don't even think humphrey and her really make it after this I, you know what i, I mean, mean <laughs> i i think that there is something about like this servant class sort of being told that like your best case scenario is to go to french go to france learn how to cook so that you can cook for people like this yeah. right yeah. like there is something inherently like 
So Her dad is such a little classist. Oh, that. yeah. I mean, he loves uh, the system. That guy. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's someone who's like it lives in this caste system and loves his place. Right? He is someone who genuinely believes that there's a front seat and the back seat. And imagine like growing up with that. You know, because we all know the growing up in the the hotbed of wealth. Long Island, New York, as we all know. <laughs> I got the impression that, that he might own all of that island. And yeah. Yeah, it's such a long one that it, might, it would be very expensive. It to makes own. sense. It is known for being long. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about how weird the part is where Humphrey suggests that daddy give him date ride? You know what I mean? Oh, Isn't that yeah. weird? It oh occurs to him that that's weird. And so, Fairchild's like, please leave me out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> While you're going to take my daughter on a manipulative date, uh, I would like to not be the driver. Is his simple request? And Humphrey yeah. Bart, oh yeah. Well, imagine oh. rich people are aliens. That's like <laughs> they're <laughs> from <laughs> another planet. <laughs> his wealth is just yeah, Anthony. Go ahead. I'm, well, I'm gonna say he's he's sitting in the back of his car talking on all these science fiction contraptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, like out of the fucking Jetsons. Yeah. Uh, that this is what she's seen growing up. Her fucking only friends of 50 year old other servants who are so excited uh, that she may fuck a rich guy, uh, that they're all so invested in that. Uh, it's a, it's a weird, weird, weird. life. Yeah, yeah. I, my my point was that I feel like I don't like a lot of her decisions, but that I am still so thoroughly charmed by her, and I think that's like much to Audrey Hepburn's credit. Um, was the point I was trying to make? But now I just want to talk about how weird this whole situation well, is. It's also I, this like I just want to say one more thing, kind of to that general point, is that this was made when comedies were like it's a fucking comedy. Don't worry too much about the logic of it. Right. There's nowadays, I feel like comedy needs to be so much more grounded, uh, in it's sort of like approach to the world building where this is just so incredibly heightened and absurd, just like the life and the characters and the way they talk. Yeah. And it, and it is as a comedy, it's so funny. Like the plastic thing is so funny. Yeah. The, there's especially like my favorite part. So, so the rich guy, the reason why he wants um, his younger brother to marry this other person is because her family owns sugarcane and he is the owner of a new process for making plastic out of sugar. Um, and I mean, you should step on the thing. It's some real good plastic. And we should also call him by his name, which is Linus, which is a very right. funny name for a romantic lead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Linus. Um, Linus yeah, Larrabee of the Long Island yeah. Larrabees. Yeah. I- the type of guy it is who funny. Sh- I didn't know that I be- yeah. you said it, and then I was like, "Oh, it is funny." Yeah, yeah it's funny. it's it's, uh, a, it's a good Broadway comedy making, name. Just imagine being into kiss a sixty year old man, and then saying, "Give it to me, Linus." Just like uh, pick that. Yeah, yeah. Just a guy who will shoot a piece of glass, li- plastic, light it on fire, then make you lick it. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. he's a weird guy. Yeah, uh, I do love those running jokes of like. The pe- different people standing on the plastic in the background get out was that he's always showing people how amazing this plastic is. So like we see a party and then we just see through the window inside. He's making people like a group of people stand on this plastic thing to show how strong it is. That is very, very funny. And also the old man and the olives like this. Yes, this that's is not, amazing. It's not a romance between Audrey Hepburn and either of the brothers. This movie is a romance between that old man and an olive. Yeah. And he, and he loves it, too. 
Yeah, when he pours the martini in the olive, Joe, is one of my favorite visual gags. Good. And Uh, then the next time he's in the office, he brings his own jar of olives. It's just like, just, I I would not expect a a comedy from the 50s to tickle me this much. I guess I was surprised by how, like, genuinely funny, not like, I feel like it's funny for the time, but just how genuinely funny. If I watch the same movie came out today, like these are very good jokes. This is really delightful. That's what I was sort of saying with the, why I love Billy Wilder because I think a lot of people get sort of held up on this idea of like really old movies and think that the, these things are going to be, like I said, stuffy, classy, intellectual movies or whatever. But like these people were making stuff that like holds up and is interesting. And like, so much of the humor that works today is stuff that is like it's not super topical it's not super like political or like relevant to the times it's just like funny human nature stuff which is what something i think billy wilder did so well he he really captured human behavior that was funny and that's the stuff that is going to age it's always going to be funny because we're always going to understand like yeah, we might not be rich and drink you know, martinis with olives, but we all understand like that human desire to want something that's stuck, you know, it's stuck in a jar for sure. Yeah. Can, can, can I say something real quick about just the overall quality of the movie? Because I think this is a great movie, but uh, I just want to specifically kind of allocate some praise and say that I think, you know, obviously humps. Humps is great. Loves hump. Love me some humps. Great uh, humps. Man, great humps. And I like them. Uh, Billy Wilder. Uh, I actually haven't seen that many of his movies. I have. Uh, I've learned too much about him. Well, like when I watch his movies, I have like the wrong mindset. Um, oh. And I just want to recommend a YouTube video real quick by Just Right called uh, "The Greatest Screenwriter of All Time," and it's about him. Pretty good video. Um, but. Uh, I just want to say basically all those people real good. And I think they're doing like an average to good job. And then I think Audrey Hepburn is going like, I think Audrey Hepburn is the reason that we're even talking about this movie really at all. And I think she is kind of what gives the movie like takes it up to a notch. So when, when like Sarah said, like this movie was like a mess that actually didn't really surprise me that much because it does seem like a, a little bit like, by the numbers and that might be um a problem of like this movie may have established some rom-com norms to such an extent that it now feels like kind of like uh, obvious yeah. in 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 uh going backwards but she feels like so special and different that it's just like oh this 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 to me i think i guess what i'm saying is i would give most everybody in this movie like a seven and then her like a 10 i guess yeah interesting. And that would kind of average out to like an 8.5 if you want to do the math i know <laughs> there's a lot of math heads out there that want to do that math i don't think that's is that right okay anyway that's, a, that's uh, how i feel i'm not i'm not saying that's right i'm oh oh you mean the math wise um <laughs> here let's do it so we we no 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 let's math it all out so we're gonna yeah. give billy a seven we're gonna give humps you know let's give humps a 7.2 um, and then what's the other guy? Holden. What's William the name? Holden. Yeah. William Holden. Yeah. I. It's funny. As soon as the movie like was starting and she was in love with him, I was like, well, obviously she's going to leave him and fall in love with the older brother because he's Humphrey Bogart and I've heard with of him. But, but, but. Oh, um, William Holden is. William Holden is like one of the most famous actors of yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So and I was also like, famous uh, man about town. And yeah. he did indeed hook up with Audrey Hepburn while they were filming this movie. Love it. Thank and you for telling me that. They like 
had a, a super passionate affair and she thought they were going to end up together forever, but she wanted a family and he couldn't have kids. He had a vasectomy because he had so many affairs that his wife was like, I can't stop you from sleeping around, but I can't stop you from having a bunch of kids. Wow. Wow. It's like the movie. Guys, I know so much. I did. I know so much gossip about this movie. Art is life. Life is art. Wow. The, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, I was right. I was right for the wrong reason. Is what I, I I guess I learned. I love when you're like that. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Um, Yeah, he's 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 fine. I'll give him a seven point two. That seems fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, wait. So, well, well, Holden guy. I actually think I liked him a little bit more. I'm going to give him a seven point five. I mean, I I related to him the most solely because I also right now don't know if it's Wednesday or Sunday. Yeah. Uh, So I feel very. Very close to that character in terms of. I also feel close to him in that um, I will kidnap anybody from a train station, and uh, as long as they're hot and they have a dog with your name, man, pulling up to a train station and being like, "You're hot. Would you like a ride home?" is so upsetting and creepy. Oh, but she uh, plays it so well. I love yeah. that scene, man. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. I, I, I like Paris with a poodle with diamonds on its collar. Brad, I felt a little move. bit, <laughs> Alex. I felt a little bit like you watching that scene. Actually, I thought of you because my I really was trying to enjoy that scene, and I did. But that weird 1950s luggage rack and all of her luggage didn't make sense to me, and I was so worried it was gonna fall off and get yeah, smashed. Absolutely, I thought of that because I was like. When he started putting it just like, it was like, oh, he's going to put his stuff in the trunk. And then he started putting it on the trunk. And I was like, that's not how that works. What is happening in this yeah. scene? She's such a fascinating, like, like weird, such a fascinating weirdo and so charming, even when she's being kind of terrible. Like, another, you meant, you asked me for specifics, Hunter. The one I remember now is he confides to her. Uh, that he had contemplated suicide one time over unrequited love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She visits his his office and she's like, "Oh, is this the ledge where you?" Yeah, is that is is it right there? This was the plate right over there. You almost went whoop off this building. Crazy. It was like so harsh, so so thoughtless, and it was so charming when she did it. Yeah, fascinating. It's fun. She she takes something so disgusting and dark like that and makes it makes yeah. it really fun. That's a special power, you know. Man, she was in a lot of kind of like morbid stuff throughout her career too. I don't know. I guess we. <laughs> I, if you like the morbid Audrey Hepburn, you should watch Charade. I love Charade. Yeah. Uh, I was just looking at so what she good. was in, and I was like, I'm confident I have seen Charade, and then I read it, and I the description I have mm. not seen Charade. It's but what so. Was, good <laughs> we saw this really weird remake of charade for the mm-hmm. podcast oh um, i don't support that there's also a remake of sabrina which really don't watch truly it. the only upgrade is harrison ford yeah, yeah i wanted to talk about that because greg kinnear plays the what's his face holden role and uh david yeah. David, yes, he plays that that part, and those two actors are not equivalent. I don't know if why someone thought like, oh, this star and Greg Kinnear 
are a lot alike, and it would make sense for him to play that oh part. God. One was Han Solo, one was the original host of Talk Soup. Okay, yeah, I'd it's say just they're on different. the same page. And I, uh, is it Julie Ormond is Sabrina? Yeah, here? And I mean, like, it, no disrespect, but like, good fucking luck stepping yeah. into Audrey Hepburn's shoes. That seems like, and I truly, I'm like, she was fine in it, but like, an impossible task. <laughs> yeah, and I I really like Sidney Pollock as a director, but mm-hmm. it's one of those like Sidney, calm down, buddy. You don't need to remake Sabrina. That's not you have other stuff to do. Uh, the, yeah, it, the movie it, that we watched the remake of Shred is um, called The Truth About Charlie and stars Mark Wahlberg. Um, yeah, that's the Jonathan Demi movie, right? Oh my uh, god, that Shred. Hmm. Oh no! But um, the apartment also uses um, suicide as like major plot points and for comedy things. So it is weird that like you know, multiple Billy Wilder movies sort of use that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do they do they always call it booping? Is that a normal? Or is that just this one? I think that's just this one. Okay, so let's talk about now. Let's finally let's get to the uh, main event. Let's talk about um, the way Audrey is dressing. So black hat she wears. There is at one point where she wears a black skull crown. Uh huh. Is that a thing? Okay, I remember that. Yes. Um, So that dress that she's wearing in that scene is actually really controversial. Okay, so des- describe for me the dress and the controversy. Okay, this is so, a, a black so, dress. Yes, yes, it's it's a black cocktail. Dr- I am obsessed with this dress. It's a black cocktail dress with a boat neck that ties with bows at the shoulders. Um, okay. it was a super popular dress pattern actually after the movie came out because it was people are like, "What a dress!" and they wanted to make it. Uh, so that dress, along with all of the other clothes that she wears from the train station sequence on are, according to most sources, designed by Givenchy, Hubert Givenchy, um, who, so backstory, here's the monologue. Sorry, it's a long story, but it's important. Um, Audrey Hepburn, huge star after Roman Holiday, won an Oscar for it. This was her second feature with Paramount, and she had a fair amount of bargaining power. She obviously had great personal taste. She was always really interested in how she was presented on screen. So for this movie, since she had to come back after Paris and be a different woman, uh, she asked, "Can I go to Paris and actually buy Parisian clothes? Because they will <laughs> they will look they will look different on film." And they're like, "Sure." So she tried to go to I think Balenciaga first, and they were like, "We can't help you right now. Go see Givenchy. He's getting his first collection ready. He's a new up and coming designer. He probably has time for you." So she went to his atelier and she gave her name to the like receptionist as Miss Hepburn. Uh, Hubert hears that, thinks it's Catherine Hepburn, and is like a huge <laughs> star. And he goes out to see her and he's like, oh, I don't know who this woman is, but she's so striking. And they immediately hit it off. And he's like, I would love to give you clothes, but I don't have time right now to give you custom because I'm making my first collection. But if anything off the ready-to-wear rack, like you're welcome to browse. So she picked the suit that she's wearing at the station. She uh-huh. picked that gorgeous black and white ball gown that she wears. Uh, she picked that black cocktail dress. And I think those are the only ones that I know for sure were like supposedly that she got herself from Givenchy's workroom. So she brings those back. You will note in the movie, the only credited costumer is Edith Head, who is a legend, an absolute Hollywood icon who worked mostly at Paramount and then later went to Universal to work with Hitchcock. So she dressed Grace Kelly. She dressed like every iconic woman 
of the mid 20th century. She was super well respected in her field, has a ton of awards for it. She was also kind of a hard ass, depending on who you talk to. She was sort of difficult to work with in particular. She is the basis for Edna Mode in The Incredibles, weirdly enough. Um, oh, really? Yeah, she's the design is based on her, not so much the personality. Oh, okay, but like, okay. so Edith had is like super professional. Like she had worked with Audrey on Roman Holiday. They knew each other. Apparently they had a very cordial working relationship and people always went to Edith because they actually really respected her and had a good relationship with her. But Audrey came back with these clothes from Paris And apparently that caused some friction and Edith Head didn't want to share credit for the designs. So Givenchy is uncredited in the film. And apparently Audrey didn't know that until the film premiered. She brought Givenchy with her, like as her date and was like, this is so exciting. This is going to help launch you. And then he wasn't in the movie at all. And he said he felt like it really delayed his career for a couple of years because people didn't know that he had done these celebrated costumes and Edith had actually won the Oscar for costume design for this movie. So it's a huge controversy, but that dress specifically to cycle back around, Uh, bear with me guys. I'm getting to my point (laughs) that that we started with that one cocktail dress is heavily in dispute who actually designed it. So Uh, some people, it depends on what camp you fall into. Some people who are like pro Edith had or like, she designed all the clothes in that movie based on Givenchy's sketches. Uh, the black cocktail dress is her design mostly. And the people who are on the Givenchy side of things are like, these are his designs. Like he just was too much of a gentleman to say anything until she passed away. He wasn't going to like call her reputation into question while she was alive because he respected her. So no one knows who designed that dress for sure. But... Out of all of it, Audrey Hepburn became his like muse and close personal friend and really launched, uh, honestly, what we think of as the fashion model figure. I am, that, that is a fascinating story. And the only problem the with end. it was when you stopped to apologize as if you weren't having a great time. You're right. Um, You're right. It's a good I, Thank you. Thank you for the note. <laughs> I, what a, what a great. Let, let, let me get in here, Anthony. I just, uh, what a, uh, such a perfect pick for a movie for somebody like me who does not know anything about costumes, because one of the things that by, but because the way they set that up where she looks one way and then she goes through a change and she looks another way. Yeah. And that's illustrated through costume is so clear. It's so obvious that she has been to Paris without me knowing why. And it totally makes sense that it's because she's wearing these incredible dresses now from Paris. And I just pulling up some photos from this movie, like the way she dresses as a kid looks sort of like, handmade mm-hmm. um person who lives above a garage kind of dresses and then like her suit at the airport and the and the dresses of it's so perfect and it kind of reminds me of how like um it reminds me of Coraline actually for some reason which is where like there's oh. this the moment there's this moment in Coraline where it it's it's in 2D for the whole for the first part of the movie and then they go through the tunnel and now it's in 3D yeah and and or or like the Wizard of Oz black and white to color it's like that with dresses and mm-hmm. it, it's that powerful without me knowing why it was happening. And so like now looking back at these photos, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is clearly what I was internalizing without knowing it. And, mm-hmm. so and that's excellent design. And, you know, yeah. Edith Head does deserve credit for that regardless. Like that's still a vision that she oversaw. And she did deserve praise for that. The The individual credit stuff, you know, we'll never know. Everyone involved has passed away. But 
Yeah, and also there's still a lot of other <laughs> costumes made for this movie, especially yes. when you think of like the big pody scenes. I'm dropping some images. I saw that. Yeah, of her, her hanging out with her eight Academy Awards. Yeah, I'm looking uh, which, a lot like the lady from uh, The Incredibles. So, which uh, is pretty. Yeah. I don't know anyone else who has a photo of them with eight Academy Awards that they've won. Um, it's pretty good. Pretty I mean, neat. she was incredible. She like yeah. there's there's a lot of stories about her, but everyone concludes that she was just like a force. She's pretty so, awesome. So this is going to be then a little bit adjacent to that, but not exactly that. Which is, um, can you do you do you also know maybe not that much, but do you know some much about this haircut? Because Oh, the Gamine haircut. (laughs) It's an important haircut. haircut. So this it's it's, if you notice though, she's not the only one in the movie who has it. Uh, David's fiance has a really similar haircut. It just doesn't look the same on her. It doesn't look nearly as good on her. I mean, the the the, like it's the cutest haircut that's anyone anyone's ever had. And my so cute. I have tried to replicate it. It's a it was a failure, a hard failure. Yeah, of course it would be hard to also do if it looks this good on her. But I, it made me. I was a little surprised that no one else seemed to care. And I sort of thought that in the fifties, this would be more of a shocking mm-hmm. short amount of hair. Um, but yeah, so, so this is an important haircut and it was yeah. very influential. Well, uh, but I mean, it was pe- women wore their hair short uh, around this time. Anyway, it was kind of mm-hmm. a look that was coming in, but it just yeah. was a big and dramatic entrance. I don't I don't know uh, how much of what's in this movie is from the play that it's based off. Very um, well. <laughs> so I am curious if like, if the hair stuff is in, in the play, if uh, like how that works. Cause I know that is what like inspired the film. Yeah. I, from what I've read, this film is only glancingly related to the play at all. Um, the playwright has a, a credit but he left really early in the production process because he was really frustrated with how they were changing his, uh, mm. his work. Because his the play is like a really sharp satire, and it's not really a romance at all. Um, so it was just all the ideas he was playing with was just really like uh, the class divide um, mm-hmm. and how he satirized that. Just really that wasn't what they were interested in bringing into a film version of it. They really wanted it to be this kind of fairy tale that still was like very witty, but it wasn't so much like yeah. hammering home that class stuff. Definitely feels like the opening monologue is very much like mm-hmm. driving at that idea. Like when the, when she's just narrating the absurdity of their wealth, you know, an indoor tennis court, an outdoor tennis court, an indoor pool, an outdoor pool. Uh, like it is just really good at like driving that home. And then the film kind of um, sort of abandons those sort of themes. Like, you know, you still have it, like especially in the, like uh, the way her dad talks about, like don't reach for the moon, mm-hmm. which is a great thing to tell your kids. Don't um, try. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, don't try to rise above your station. But as she says, you know, the moon is reaching for her. But like Well the- yeah, I don't know if I like that e- that's the problem is like I don't like her dad's advice, but I don't I don't like the way she reaches for the moon, which is by I mean, trying to her- marry not just a rich guy, but a rich guy who famously does not feel feelings back for women. Well, like like her idea uh, like her dream idea of a date is to recreate a scenario she watched. 
right through a window where, where he, he through, boinked somebody on a tennis court. Yeah, like the the idea that she is trying so hard to recreate this thing that she watched from mm-hmm. a distance is like a really interesting idea and really says a lot about sort of the character and the way mm-hmm. she perceives herself and the world that she like wants to be in. You know, she's not and I think that's kind of one of the things that makes her and um, Humphrey Bogart's relationship kind of interesting is that he's like showing her a different side of it and like stuff that like kind of inspires her and like she finds interesting rather than like trying to recreate this this snapshot in time that she's just been romanticizing yeah. in her head in Paris for God knows how many years, you know? Yeah, that's so interesting. Um I have one other stupid thing I want to talk about. So is there anything else you guys want to make sure we get in about this before we start to wrap up with my dumb thing? Um, I really like that song about bananas. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) So I am, I am super familiar with that song. Um, That is a song that my dad would sing. It's a joke song. My dad knew possibly from this movie, but it's just like as a kid, every once in a while, trying to make me laugh, my dad would sing this song at me. And so, and I had no idea where it was from. So hearing them listening to it on a boat is very funny, but also not good seduction music. What a weird. It's so funny. It was, I I love that. It's kind of horny for me, but (laughs) I guess it probably wouldn't work for a lot of people. But I mean, I have a very banana based kind of sexual economy. Um, so it kind of all revolves around I mean, inners, so, you know? So, no. I mean, my, my biggest question is when they get back from Paris, do you think the dad is still their driver? You think like he, such a great question. Does he get to move into the main house now? That's so dark. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, weird. I definitely think there's a lot of good reasons to not do it. Um, a sequel to this movie. I think if we saw the next act of their story, it would be such a disaster. That's what, that's what I said. I do not I think know. that humps and them really go the distance. Oh, you know? no. I just I feel mean, like, well, I think they might get married, but he's going to die in the next year or two. Yeah, and that's and true. He, he's not doing well. The count, the, you know, mistress of, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. The count of, uh, the, the, the dowager story. of, uh, of long Island. I, mean, I do like that. The movie even deals with for its time. Like, the way the press is going to drag her over the coals, yeah, uh, for yeah, something yeah. like, uh, like a, like him, you know, someone who's just in it for the money, and the way the press is going to call him a scumbag for this, um, I thought that was like interesting. It's kind of interesting, yeah. As far as themes that could be explored more that weren't, that is an interesting thing that's brought up, just <laughs> like just the class swerved thing. away. Also, yeah. you know, I really wanted to know how she was going to pull off making that souffle with crackers. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been fun. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was like I wanted I the like reveal there. The they tempted she, us. Yeah, she. Well, that's actually so. That's my stupid thing that I was going to bring up was was around that moment, which is we also have in like the next scene. Uh, so we we never get to pay off for the cracker souffle. It's just like she did just ruin one egg and then left. Which also she had not eaten all day. She needs a a snack. She's a um. It's it's, it's dangerous. But um, the other I thing mean, that my- I was thinking of. My Similarly. wife constantly watching this movie was just like, look at her fucking waist. Dude, yeah. Jesus Christ. She just like so, kept saying that over and yeah. over again. She's I'm too like, skinny. It's creepy. She's a very, very small lady. Um, but, uh, the other thing that I felt like was teased and not fully, that, that I was very upset about it not being addressed is that um, uh, so business brother uh, has 
ask he has a, a really excellent head secretary miss mccardle who's doing all this work for him oh, and just God brilliantly bless, handling his life. <laughs> she's great and um so he asks her to get two tickets to a play for him to go uh watch with his child girlfriend and then he can't go all of a sudden so he's like go ahead go yourself and the next morning miss mccardle is <laughs> late for work oh my god and she says, I had a terrible night. I went to the theater with my mother and and then we never find out. He never asks what happened at the theater with your mom that made you late the next morning. Did Was your mom that bad to watch a play with or did the two of you get in a crazy adventure? Like what a fascinating lead for a story to See, never and it's hear stuff any word like about. that where i'm like this movie's half baked you know what i mean <laughs> like that's it's I mean, literally it does it. seem like a thing that they ra- they wrote that day and then that, like never got around to finishing <laughs> and it does show a little character that he just does not give a shit that he that she just teased the most interesting story he's ever heard and he's so used to thinking of people who work for him as not being fully human right. that he would just ignore what clearly is a good story oh my god i wanted to know so bad (laughs) i mean this goes back to that closure thing we were talking about a while ago you know this is Mm. the film giving you an excuse to not forget it to keep you thinking (laughs) i I mean uh, i I would like to spend the rest of the day just brainstorming things that could have happened to miss mccardle and her mom at that play uh i'm just so maybe there should be a remake of this movie and but it pretty much does exactly what the the original does, but the, it gives you the answer to that question. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a whole uh, remake for that. It might be worth that's it. Makes, oh yeah, I, actually, there is the remake. Do they address that? That's what I now we need to watch the remake. Mm, I don't think so. All <laughs> I remember from the new one is that Sabrina is a high fashion photographer. Hmm. Oh, uh, I um I do enjoy his massive bedroom in his office. In his office, yeah. I, I, um. His office was also a piece of a masterpiece. It has a, a the full bedroom in it, uh, a not super well stocked stocked kitchen and bar, but it did have eggs. It had stuff, and and um, also he had the James Bond esque buttons in his desk that opened the a sliding door to the to the office, which is good. Right, and then well, they were Star Trek doors. They like slid yes. just like Star yeah. Trek doors. And then uh, he also had like a Calder mobile in the office, which is cool. So. Um, a lot of really interesting stuff going on in that office. I, I would like to spend a day exploring that as well. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess the thing that I want to, the last thing that I want to say is that I just fucking loved it. You guys, this yeah. is, oh, this good. was a good one. Oh, this is guys, probably I'm so happy. I was worried after I watched no. it again. <laughs> you, you could, I mean, like we, 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 last week we had Phoebe on to talk about the 1994 film Clifford and we did not, none of us really enjoyed it. And it definitely seemed like it hurt her a little bit, even though she kept a strong face. Um, I don't no, think the, it hurt I, her at all. I think it, yeah. I think it steadied her resolve. I think it, it hardened her. <laughs> yeah. She definitely made, made her like it more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I, I do think it is very bold for us to go out on a limb and say that <laughs> Sabrina is better than Charles <laughs> Clifford. I think yeah. uh, you heard it here first people my point anthony was not about that my point was about how it can be daunting to bring something that you care about into the into our little den um and i this is probably the most fun i've had at a movie for the podcast uh at least in in recent memory uh sure there's other things i liked there's a lot of stuff i liked but this one i was just that monologue at the beginning explaining how rich they were was like 
perfect so and the whole way through like that was happening i was like oh if the, if this is this good i'm probably in for a good time he tricked brother to sit for the sit on champ- uh, champagne champagne glasses. Glasses. well and, really uh, and when when he the first time he went to the tennis court to to fool around with that lady he put the champagne glasses in his pocket and i was like that's a weird way to carry uh-huh. glasses mm-hmm. you could just put them in your hand I bet this gets him in trouble later, and then it fucking did. Bam. Nailed it. Um, That's comedy, baby. But what I did not see coming was their dad putting the olive uh, uh, jar in his pocket, his one true love, and then getting the same trouble. A callback right at the end of the special. That's how you do it. That's good comedy. It's so good. I just, I was just so thoroughly delighted. It made me want to watch more. I haven't seen a lot of Hepburn, and I would like to see more Hepburn. I would like to see some of the classic Billy Wilder stuff, like The Apartment. I've not seen that movie. Um, Humps. You're fine, and I've seen <laughs> enough of you, and this didn't make me feel, feel like I need to see more of you. <laughs> I, I, do I am satisfied on humps. <laughs> um, one more uh, very funny gag uh, to what was the assistant's uh, name? Miss McCardle. Miss McCardle. How just psyched she is to pull out this uh, smelling salts. Like she's just, oh, so yeah. she's just so goddamn oh, what a good happy. Joke. Yeah. and he's like no not yet hold on and she's like now and he's like no not yet uh yeah. I think that someone being way too psyched the pump out smelling salts is very funny yeah i completely agree i uh i, I and i agree with you 102 is i i marked a bunch of um hepburn and wilder stuff to watch later mm-hmm. uh out of this but we did I, i'm trying to think of other um what other hepburn have i actually seen i my fair lady, my obviously. My fair lady, yes, of course. Um, and I, and we actually watched Bref- Breakfast at Tiffany's a couple years ago, and oh, definitely is, hold up, oh boy, just not yeah, hold I, up. It's like I, so. I would love to hear your three sentence summary of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, hey, um, yeah, uh, it, oh man, that and you know character. that's another uh, Givenchy dress at the beginning, her black dress. Oh, the one oh, on, the, yeah. on the cover, yeah, from the poster, mm-hmm. yeah, from the poster. Um, yeah, th- that one was a strange uh, introduction to this whole world. So um, the M- Mickey Rooney does not hold up particularly as a as a what, comic. What, 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 you didn't, what didn't you like about Mickey Rooney? Did he do something bad? Did he do something wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he did. He did bad. Mickey did hey, wait, bad. Let me, let me Google it. <laughs> Mickey Rooney, bad. Oh, uh-oh. Oh dear! The, I think there was the one. There was a in in Brody Theater bathroom. This is very specific for Hunter and, and Anthony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone else turned off the podcast. Was Anyways. it? Was that Mickey Rooney? Um, I Wait, think it was what? Mickey Rooney. Did we, we, there was like a there was a comedy record. Oh, I know what and, you mean. And the cover yes. was like had in big letters. It was like featuring the like the 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 world famous Chinese waiter sketch. Oh yes, it does have did and have I was, that. Like I, every time you go to the oh, bathroom, I would have to see that, that every theater, week. I would I have like, to be reminded that Mickey did that. Oh, Mickey, not great. Yeah, I mean it's it's bad. It's he. It's one of those things when it's like you know he was a child star who grew up you know around the sort of really shitty studio system who just you know he had a miserable time. Uh, and so, like, you you feel bad for him at one on like one part of like how much of his life was out of his control, but then like the other part was like every day he woke up and went to hair and makeup for that role. You know what I mean? And like sat there thinking, like, okay. oh, this is a good idea. Okay. <laughs> that was not Mickey Rooney. That was Buddy Hackett. 
the original Chinese waiter skit. Um, oh. so different, but equally bad. And in the M- same Mickey way, Mickey Rooney just picked up a similar bit that was already well, in the I, air. My buddy calls his the original Chinese waiter. But, oh my oh, God. The idea of two people arguing over who truly owns this super racist caricature that had, by the way, not the, not the best shelf life. I mean, I guess they're both dead, so it doesn't matter now, but. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's weird. Okay. Well, I'm also going to go look into more Gavinci because um, he came, he came out. Okay. That house is doing all right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, their their house designed Meghan Markle's wedding dress. Whoa. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Okay. It was a, a British... Oh, shit, I'm forgetting her name. A British designer who is the head of Givenchy currently did um, Meghan Markle's wedding dress, which I thought was lovely. I actually like a lot of the stuff in this menswear collection right now. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's rad. I mean, they have had their brushes with controversy as every major fashion house somehow... <laughs> Seems to think they need to for whatever reason. Uh, what genre the, of controversy? Oh, the, yeah, everyone has awful like instances of of racism and just like oh, casual okay. cruelty in there. Yeah, all sure. fa- all high fashion houses have that, which is not to say it is okay. None of them should have that. We all need to do better. Yeah, uh, their um, history my, is fascinating, though. If you are interested in high fashion, yeah. Mm. My wife and I a few weeks ago binged the CW Riverdale spinoff, Katie Keene. I love that city. show. <laughs> Uh, I love so that I know show. I know a little bit about fashion houses now, <laughs> uh, but we watched it literally in one sitting. We watched all thirteen episodes of the first season, oh and God. it was a delightful. I can't you, believe they canceled it. I will never forgive. Did they cancel it? They canceled it, and I'm furious. <laughs> I, I was legit hoping the for more. That's a bummer. I didn't know. I know it was the only show I was still watching on the CW, and now I'm deleting their app from my Roku. <laughs> oh man all right well uh we're gonna let's let's wrap it up let's put the (laughs) the window back up between us and the and the people in the in the back i guess i don't know that doesn't quite work you get it thank you so much for listening we will be back again next week everybody um next week's topic still tbd we're doing some guest scheduling again it's gonna take a little bit of wrangling so i'll let you know soon um if you have more as i mentioned before guests or or topics or genres that you want us to talk about as we continue slightly condescending film school and the summer of friends you can let us know on social and and at podcasts at read-weep.com uh thank you everybody who has become a meat buddy on our patreon at metreon.com keeping us limping down the tracks and a huge thank you to our guest this week thanks anthony for hanging out thanks for having me this is a lot of fun probably of all the movies we've made do you watch this is probably one that your wife was more okay with yeah i mean she's okay with all of them she did not watch class of 1999 uh but she that one i i want to make it i want to admit something i didn't even watch that one i just didn't (laughs) I'm just going to admit it now. I actually didn't watch it. Just went with the flow, and I figured out what you guys were talking about. Yeah, you did, fine. Uh, you did very good. And thanks for hanging out with us, Hunter. And I'm glad you made it safely to Arkansas. Good yeah. luck. Oh, I'm so this. so glad to be back in the woods where I belong. Uh, I'm going to get a gun. <laughs> so I'm not going to get a gun. I just realized that was not a funny joke for anyone except for me. So I, I take it back. Yeah. Everyone at home knows why. Know know that you don't want that. Right, yeah. Okay, well, re-listen to that part and hold up a picture of me and look at it while you hear me say it. All right, anyways, I'm done. Perfect.
uh, also thank you so much Sarah for, for joining us and for sharing this and we will talk to you again in a couple weeks about something decidedly less fun I yeah thank you for having me I love talking about costumes I love talking about fashion I love talking about Audrey Hepburn so really what a dream the dream uh, all right, well everybody be well we'll talk to you again next week bye bye